um, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Um, one of the things that was shared with me, and I think it is so right on, um, there is this heaviness in life. There is stuff that happens in life. Um, there's, there's financial hardship. There's sickness. There's suffering. All of that. And, and that is part of the world that we live in. Um, there's brokenness. It's because of the fall. It's because of sin. It's not the way that the that our Father had intended it to be. But all of that is just is also an opportunity to run to our Father, to run to Him, to seek Him, to pursue Him in every situation, to reach out to Him. Because all throughout Scripture it says there's this huge promise that if we reach out to Him, if we seek Him with all of our heart, we will find Him. And so I want to encourage you this morning in each and every situation. Whatever you're facing, whether it's sin, whether it's suffering, whether it's you know, sickness, I'll just keep going on with a bunch of S's. Um, whatever it is, seek the Lord. Pour out your heart to Him. He will be found by you. You will find Him. He's a gracious, loving Father who wants to hear from His kids. And so I encourage you to do that. This morning, uh, after the message, we want to pray for a team that's going to Zambia. It's going to be sent to Zambia. They're leaving on Friday, and they're going to minister out in the villages and, and share the gospel with people who haven't heard the gospel, people who, um, where there's some breakthrough happening in, in different tribes and different places um, that uh, people who are living there, Austin and, and others who are living there, who are working with. And uh, this team is going to go, and it's um, not just building things. It's not just serving that, even though there's, there is a part of that. They are going to, to proclaim the life-giving message of Jesus. And that is absolutely huge. And so we want to, want to pray for them. But as I was thinking of them this week and thinking of people that we send um, here, there, and everywhere, um, it's such an honor and an opportunity to send people like that. But frankly, that's what all of us are called to do. Um, I want all of us this morning to be challenged and to really understand our identity in Christ. Yes, that we're forgiven, that we are a new creation, but also that we are sent people, sent into this world to proclaim the hope that we have found in Jesus. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. I mean, that's what we should be like walking around prepared to share with people the hope that we have found in Jesus. And so this morning, I want our identity to be secure in Christ, but also to understand that our identity is, is one that sent people into this world to proclaim the hope that we have found in Jesus. You know, this month of, of July can be a difficult month in, in homes. And it's difficult because if you have kids in the house, you might have already started to hear this phrase, and you probably have started to hear this phrase with more um, regularity. And it's the phrase, I'm bored. Right? They're in their house, I guess, kids are on summer break, and they're like, I have nothing to do. I'm looking at a boy over there, maybe on the risers, who has said that a couple times. I have nothing to do. I'm bored. And I remember um, thinking about that or saying that phrase when I was a kid, and I got tired of throwing the tennis ball against the, the garage door and practicing baseball with a tennis ball or shooting baskets. I got bored in the summer, and I would go to my mom and dad, and I would say, I'm bored, I have nothing to do. And that was probably the last thing I should have said to them, because parents always find something to do, and they're like, all right, our yard is filled with rocks, why don't you see if you can pick up 50 rocks? And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to say that, I'm bored, I have nothing to do, because they will find something to do. So just kids, like, never tell your parents, like, I don't have anything to do, because they will find 
uh, something for you to do. But as I was thinking about that phrase, I, I, this week, I, I thought, like, is that true of our lives as far as Jesus? Like, do we get to this place where we say with our lives, you know what, I'm bored, I have nothing to do. And I believe, like, that phrase should never come out of our mouths as far as Jesus, because our mission is so crystal clear. Jesus was so crystal clear in, in, in what he has told us to do. In every gospel, it says this. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me, now I tell you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. Go teach, go share, go, go, go baptize. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, Go and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. All of creation. Proclaim the gospel with your mouth. Share the hope that you have. And then the gospel of John, Jesus says, he's, he's talking to his disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me into this world, so now I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Now go and share the gospel that I've shared with you. And then the gospel of Luke, Luke and Acts goes together because it was written by the same person in Acts 1, 8. Luke says this, that Jesus, or Jesus' words, he says, now you're going to be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I mean, that is, is your job, that is my job as a follower of Jesus, somebody who has encountered the, the life-giving message of Jesus, who has had our lives transformed. The very thing that we need to be doing is sharing the gospel with people, sharing the hope that we have with people. I remember in college, uh, getting towards the end of college, and, and asking that big question in, in life. What is the purpose of my life? God, what is the purpose? What is the one thing that you have for me in life? And I remember going to this conference, and I was in this tent, and sitting in the back row of this tent in Ohio on a hot summer day. It was humid. People were sweating. And in the middle of that tent, the purpose of my life became so crystal clear. And it was simply what I just shared. Go and share the gospel with people. <laughs> Go and proclaim the hope that you have. Now, how you do that and where you do that, there is a lot of different ways that you can do that. But all of us in this room who proclaim that the name of Jesus, who confess the name of Jesus, are to live our lives sharing the gospel with people. But how we do that, the way it looks, can be different for every person in this room. This comes out of Acts chapter 8. And I always get inspired by Acts chapter 8. And, and last week you guys looked at Acts chapter 8 and, and Mike uh, shared about, about being a witness and, and walking in step with the Spirit. And, and I just, um, throughout the week, heard so many positive things from, from Mike sharing uh, last week. So thankful for Mike and, and his gift and his gift to our body and, and who he is and, and just how he lives his life. And so, so grateful for the stories that he shared to inspire all of you guys. And so um, make sure you thank him because he probably doesn't get thanked enough. Uh, Jen probably doesn't thank him enough. Um, <laughs> Mike, you can have 20 dollars. You can pay me for that one. But no, he did such a great job um, last week. And, and what I want to do is really drill down on this identity that uh, is true in our lives. This identity has set people, and I think, at, no, I, I know like Acts 8 is this turning point in Acts. Uh, this is turning point in Acts because up until this point, everything has, that's happened has transpired in Jerusalem. They spent a couple years in Jerusalem. They, they were waiting in the upper room and praying, and, and Jesus said, wait in the upper room until the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes. And then they start proclaiming the gospel. They are, the miracles happen. Um, amazing stuff happens. 
There's also persecution. They come together. They huddle. There's prayer meetings. Uh, God moves again in power, and they go out, and they proclaim again. And so much stuff has happened in Jerusalem. And as we get to Acts chapter 7, we're introduced to a man named Stephen who proclaims the gospel, and he's killed for it. He's martyred for his faith. He's killed for his faith. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. It starts this way. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. You get this picture there that Saul, who was who wanted to, to put an end to Christianity, is there with his arms crossed, and he's like, yep, it's good that we did this. He approves of the execution. And there arose, it goes on to say, on that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The twelve stayed back in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. As Acts chapter 8 begins, like you're seeing this, this period, this time of unleashed, uh, like an unleashed time of great persecution. You, know, you pick, picture this, followers of Jesus running for their lives. Running for their lives, hiding because they are being persecuted and being dragged off to prison. And it says both men and women are being dragged off into prison. This is happening around the world today. We heard about that from Steve. This is, is happening in our world today, this level of persecution. And this is just a reminder that, that in our world, uh, there's a hope in Jesus, but there's also an enemy who wants to snuff this out. An enemy that we are constantly fighting. We fight from a position of victory, so the end battle isn't like in doubt. We fight from a position of victory, but there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, that wants to stamp out this, this name of Jesus. And it happened 2,000 years ago, and it's happening today. And one of the ways that I really believe that uh, it's happening in America, in our lives, is through so many distractions that are being thrown our way. And so many distractions, so many things to, to occupy our time, to get our minds and our hearts focused off of, of who we were created to be and what we were created to do. And so you look at the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 8, and you can get like overwhelmed, like this is, is a difficult time in the church. And you can get like really weighed down. But I believe Acts 8 verse 4, all of a sudden there's going to be this, like, this, one of the most inspiring, to me, inspiring verses in all of scripture. It says, as they were going out, as they were running for their lives, verse 4 says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, those who were scattered, who were running from Jerusalem, went about preaching the word. I love how the NIV puts it. It says, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wherever they went. And the message says this, forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. They didn't go running for protection but instead went running, proclaiming the message of Jesus. And the, the very thing that was, was intended to stop the spread of the gospel actually became the thing that, very, that fueled the expanse of the gospel. I mean, this is mind-blowing. They're running for their lives, and instead of hiding for protection and, and cowering in fear, they're like, okay, who are we going to tell about Jesus? We, we got out of Jerusalem and we're running. We are going to go forward with this message of Jesus and we're going to tell everybody that we come in contact with. Is that true of our lives? Are we living this out at Acts 8, uh, 4 like type of life? Wherever we go, 
whoever we interact with, we're going to proclaim the message of Jesus. The thing that I, I think is so interesting here is, is sometimes God will allow suffering to get us out of our comfort zone, and he'll allow suffering so that it'll give us a platform to proclaim the gospel. There are things that happen in our lives. There are things that we go through. God does not cause them. It's from the enemy. It is clear throughout scripture that the enemy is, is stealing and killing and destroying. But things will happen in our lives that will get us out of our comfort zone, that will move us out and give us a huge opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people. Rick Warren, who lost his son to suicide, said this about dark times in our lives. He says, your greatest ministry might just come out of your deepest pain. When you're going through pain, and all of us will encounter pain in our lives, you have an opportunity to demonstrate the world where you're hopeless. And you will demonstrate with your actions, but then also there will be opportunity for you to proclaim with your mouth, you know what? I went through hell on earth, but Jesus stood with me. And my hope is anchored firmly in Jesus. I just want to encourage all of us as you're going through stuff, you might just have an opportunity with your pain to proclaim something so powerful that people need to hear. They will see you and how you interact and how you go about this will be like, wow, they are going through it and they're still strong. There is something different about them. And it just blows me away in this passage that, that God is allowing persecution to happen to get the, the message out of Jerusalem. But I don't want us to lose sight of, of these followers of Jesus. And everywhere they're going, they're sharing the gospel. Everywhere they went, they're proclaiming the good news in Jesus. And, and why did they do this? What compelled them to do this? And I believe the answer is clear. Like They didn't see themselves as just a bunch of scattered people. They didn't see themselves as like, oh, okay, we're going over here or we're running for our lives. No, they saw themselves as set people. They were scattered from Jerusalem. They were sent to Samaria, to Judea, because wherever they went, whether it was to a whole city of, of Samaria, or whether it was just to one person in Ethiopian unity, they were quick to proclaim the hope that they had found in Jesus. Do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as you look yourself in the mirror? Do you see yourself as a sent person? As somebody who is sent in this world to proclaim Jesus? And here is why this is absolutely important. So crucial. God can move in any way that he wants. He can speak and mountains appear. He can, he can move mountains. He can, he can cause miracles. Like He has so much power. But all throughout scripture, all throughout this book, all throughout your life and my life, it is clear over and over again, God works through people. I don't He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But I'm like, God, seriously? You choose to work through us? Like, I know you guys. Like, he's working through you guys? Like, seriously, God, what's going on? Like, no, like, with me, like, okay, God, you're, you use us in this world? There's got to be a different way. But over and over again, God has used people. God saw Abraham. He says, you know what? I'm going to call you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. God used Elijah. He's like, you know what? Everybody is against, against you, but that's all right. I'm going to have you stand up, and, and I'm going to have fire rain down from heaven, and I'm going to work through you and work miracles through you. Isaiah, go tell people that they're, they're not going to listen to you, but go tell, tell them to turn from their sinful ways. The greatest way, though, that God has worked through a human being is through his son, Jesus. 
The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have to remember over and over again that God works through people, that God wants to work through you, and where you are at in life and what you're doing in life is not an accident, is not by chance. Look at these words out of Acts 17. This is the Apostle Paul after his life was transformed. Uh, up on the screen. He's speaking to a large group of people, and he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life to all mankind, whatever that is, and breath and, breath and everything. And then the next verse. And he from one man, from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So what is he saying? He's like, Paul's saying, you know, he made from one man, he made every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. And he, though, has picked out specific times and places for people to live. It's not just by chance that you're living in West Michigan. It's not just by chance that you're living on your street. God knew exactly where you're going to live. And God, I believe, sent you because he knew that your neighborhood needed you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are sent people to your neighborhood, to your schools, to your jobs, wherever you go. It's not by chance. God's not like, oh, I didn't expect that person to be there. No, he sees you, he knows you, and he's sending you. And if we can get this in our mind, it'll change everything. Because God is on a mission. God is on a mission. He so desperately loves people. He is constantly chasing people. I've known Jeremy for so many years. God is constantly chasing Jeremy. And that is just one example. God is constantly chasing people all throughout West Michigan. And he wants to use you in that process. He is sending you to your neighborhood. Your neighborhood is a place where you are sent not to complain about your neighbors because of their yard, but to have compassion on them because they need to know Jesus. Do you see yourself as sent people? Do you see yourself as, as someone who God desperately wants to work through? I think the thing that trips us up in this is we start to have so many excuses in our minds. We start to run through the excuses of like, God, I can't do it. I can't speak. I can't, I can't have this conversation with my neighbor. In the upcoming weeks, I want to talk about how to do that and then really get practical. But I think we get all of these excuses. But I want to remind you of who is the main character besides God, besides the Holy Spirit, besides Jesus. Who is the main character in Acts chapter 8? Look at verse 5. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And you think, oh, Philip... Oh, he must have been one of the twelve. No, nope. if you go back to Acts chapter 8, chapter uh, verse 1, it says all the twelve stayed in Jerusalem. Philip was a guy that we were introduced in Acts chapter 8. He was one of the seven selected to serve the church. He was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, who had encountered Jesus and he had given him, given Jesus his entire life. But Philip was just a normal dude. He was married. Later in Acts chapter 21, I believe, verses 8 and 9, it says that he had four daughters who were all prophets. So he lived out his faith at home. There was a guy who's just a, a normal guy. He could have, when he was running for his life, he could have said, oh God, I'm not one of the 12, so I can't do this. But no, Philip was filled with the same spirit that you and I are filled with. And Philip went into every town and every region proclaiming Christ. He said he went down to Samaria and proclaimed Jesus to people there. And massive revival broke out. 
But then all of a sudden, God plucked him out of Samaria and sent him down to a road to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch that needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whether it was with a thousand or whether it was with one, everywhere that Philip, an or normal, ordinary dude, wherever he went, he proclaimed Christ. But too often, you and I come up with excuses. I come up with excuses. I'm like, I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I'm not as smart as this person over there. And we come up with excuses. But I want to remind all of us this morning that God wants to work through you. And it's God who's going to work through you. I was touched this week by this story in Exodus chapter 4. It's a famous story. We're going to end here. Exodus 4, if you know the story, it's a story of Moses. And Moses is hanging out in the, the desert, and God appears to him in a burning bush and says, You know, I've seen the affliction of my people, the Israelites. And I'm going to send you to deliver them. I'm going to work through you. So Moses has already seen the burning bush. He's heard directly from God. And he starts asking questions like, God, I can't speak. I can't, I'm not good enough. Like, what's going on? Like, this is how it starts in, in Exodus chapter 4. So here's his plan from God. It says, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So he's doubting. He's like, God, you're sending me, but I'm doubting. And I think all of us have a little Moses uh, syndrome in us. Like, God, they're not going to believe me. Nothing's going to happen. And then the Lord said to him this in verse 2. What is that in your hand? He said, the staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I probably would have outran Moses in that time. I hate snakes. <laughs> But then the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Which I would have said, like, no chance. <laughs> so he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Like, God is saying, hey, what is in your hand? He's like, I am going to work through you. And all that you need to do is offer me whatever is in your hand. See, the staff that Moses had represented his career. He was a, a, a person, a man who took care of flock. He could took care of sheep, and, and he was working with his father-in-law. And so God comes to him, and he says, you know what, I called you to do this. I, I see you. I want you to do this. And Moses is filled with doubt. And all God says is, you know what, what's in your hand? I'm going to work through you. What is in your hand? If you will offer up what is in your hand to me, I will work miracles through you. I think the thing that God is saying to each and every one of us today is offer up to him what's in your hand. What is in your hand, which frankly is, is your whole life. God, here's my life. You created me. You saved me. Here I am. Work through me. And if we were to live this way, if we were to offer up our lives to him, what would happen through us? What would happen in our neighborhoods? What would happen in our workplaces? If you're like, okay, God, whatever you're going to call me to do, I know I'm scared, I'm freaked out, I'm frightened, but I'm going to offer my life to you and I'm going to be obedient when your Holy Spirit tells me to go. I think too often we think of ourselves as being inadequate. And the truth is, we're all inadequate when it comes to following God, when it comes to working, uh, when it comes to like proclaiming the gospel. But God wants to work through us and make us adequate. It's his power that's at work through us if we offer up everything. But the other thing that I think really trips us up is we start to compare ourselves. We start to look around and we say, you know what, I can't speak, I can't do this, I can't do this. This person's better at this, this person's better, this person's smarter. But the truth is, your neighborhood needs to be. God has sent you to that neighborhood. God has sent you to that person in your life. 
They don't need another person. They need God working through you. And so this morning, will we offer up everything to God in our hands? Will we say, okay, God, here we are. Here's our life. You have sent me. I don't want you to send anybody else to my neighbor because you have sent me. Do you see yourself that way? Last thing. John 17, verse 4. Jesus ends. John 17 is towards the end of his life. Jesus says this. He says, I have glorified you, Father, on earth by doing the very thing that you sent me to do, by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. This verse is something that Jesus said, and frankly, something that Paul said. Paul said, I've won the race. I have the prize. I've completed the work that you sent me to do. This is what I want us to be able to say at the end of our lives. To say, God, you sent us with a mission. You sent us to send people to go make disciples. And you know what? We lived our life doing the very thing that you called us to do. We did it. So we brought you glory on earth. That is the goal, to get to the end of your life, whatever time that is, to say, God, I brought you glory on earth by doing what you sent me to do. And how does that happen? It happens every day. You say, okay, God, here's what's in my hand. Use it. And so what I want to do right now Last week, Mike uh, led you in a time of prayer and had you prayed to be filled with the Spirit. What I want you to do this morning is gather up into just a group of two or three, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray uh, a prayer of surrender. God, here's what's in my hand. But I also want you to pray this prayer that God would, would break your heart for those around you, would break your heart for your neighborhood, would break your heart for the lost, would, that you would really see them as people who are going to spend eternity separated from God unless they put their faith in Jesus, to have your heart break over that. To pray, first of all, that, that you would offer up to God everything, but also pray for your heart to be broken for the lost and for those around you in your neighborhood. So why don't you do this? Go split up into uh, groups two or three, and then uh, I will call us back together, and we're going to um, worship just a little bit more and then pray for those above the scene. And this is a prayer for them, but it's a prayer for all of us, too, uh, this week, but, but specifically for this team. God, we are placing them at your feet. God, we, we see each person here. And God, we know that at the depth of your heart, you love them so much. That you have captivated their heart. That you have, have got a hold of their lives. And here they have said yes to you. And so God, I'm asking right now, first and foremost, that you would fill them with your spirit. That you would fill them to overflowing. That you would empower these, your servants, your kids, to speak your words with great boldness. That you would pour out signs and wonders. That many things would happen through your servant, Jesus. But God, right now, first and foremost, fill these people with your spirit. Fill them to overflowing. I pray that you would give them, and I ask in the name of Jesus, that you would give them dreams and visions and, and words and, and prophecies and different things. So that they can proclaim you with boldness and with power. God, open up their eyes to the unseen. Help them to see what you're doing. God, we pray and, and, and beg and plead and ask for your gospel to go forth with great power. That there would be many people right now on the other side of the world who come to know you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior through the words that, that these people proclaim. God, that hearts would be changed. That hearts would be transformed by you. God, that complete villages, complete families would be turned around and they would surrender their life to you. God, we pray for all the arrangements and all the travel and all the different details. We pray against sickness. I pray health over this team and favor in conversations. God, we pray all of that. But most of all, 
We ask, Father, that you would be so glorified in their lives. That you would captivate them, that you would work in their hearts, that, that people would not see them, but that they would see you, Jesus. So we're asking, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. That we would see kingdom, your kingdom break through in such a powerful way. Pray for family as they're back here. I pray for, for peace and over their minds. But God, we're sending these, our loved ones. And we're asking for you to be glorified in their life and through their life. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.